Welcome to Solomon's Knot, finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Today's episode marks the finale of nearly two years of outreach ministry focused on NC State University. The resources of 4campus.org will continue to be available online, along with Solomon's Knot podcast on all major streaming platforms. To conclude this bittersweet episode, I invited a friend and longtime contributor, Damien Juarez, who you may have remembered from our brief training series a while back. We will review SK's greatest moments, including bonus features and Easter eggs for your listening pleasure. So now, without further delay, let's get to our show. Hey guys, we got a great show today. I brought back an old guest. If you previously seen the training series about a year or two ago, I had my friend Damien join us. Uh, he was at the time a are you still a Bible student or what, what are we still in college? Just not taking any classes right now. Damien is uh, currently studying advanced theology at Liberty University and is approaching some insight into the word. And I'd mentioned a few episodes back that I was planning to wrap up this podcast. I felt like it had really served a purpose for a lot of students during COVID and, and giving people away and having some of these tougher conversations in light of things in the culture. And Damien, like others, had come with me on the college campus on some of our outreach days and, and really just saw, I think, just the isolation a lot of these young people were facing, some of the issues of identity. So um, unfortunately, but in a bittersweet way, is the last episode we're going to do. So this is going to be kind of a highlight of SK's greatest moments moments and you know maybe not so greatest moments uh, a lot of learning points not every episode is going to make it to this uh, not every soundbite we're going to pull is probably going to be the most impactful in terms of the conversation but i think the point was really just to capture kind of like the zeitgeist of the culture and like this is what young people are at least thinking about uh, maybe just uh, what people in general are collective conscious of the culture and some of the struggles that we're facing so without further ado i'm going to introduce my guest damian Juarez. he's going to catch you a little bit up with what he's been doing and some of his journey, and you'll hear a little bit more about him throughout the course of this episode. So enjoy. I mean, I don't really know what to say about myself. I'm here today uh, just to discuss some of these interactions you've had with these college students. It's a mixed bag of personalities um, that I actually appreciate as I've gotten more time under my belt sharing not just my faith, but just my life in general and having other people share their life and their worldviews with me. It's... (laughs) It's a good thing that man doesn't save. It's God because I didn't understand that for a while. And so I thought, even as an unbeliever, what is this person talking to me for? I don't care about this. Um, But learning how to have meaningful conversations, even if we have disagreements, is an art that and a skill that has been lost a lot and is very disappointing. So yeah, I think it's important for us to have open conversations about things that are important to us. I don't know why this comes to mind, but I was uh, reading a book and I was talking about intimate relationships, you know, and mentioned how a wife had been converted to Christianity. The husband did not, and he did not care about her conversion, didn't have a problem with it, but he didn't want to hear about it from her. And the lesson from that was to be careful because now that wife was no longer able to talk about the most intimate parts of her life, of her heart and her spirit with her lifelong partner. Granted, we're not out there having a marriage with everyone we talk to, but you know, we should still be able to have that freedom of communication with another human being. Otherwise, walls just go up and presumptions just fire off like wildfire. And we're just looking at everyone with our own lens and being bitterly resentful towards everyone quietly. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that actually, because I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of these arguments that came up throughout the course of SK's journey. Just to give you like a snapshot of the conversation, which I envisioned was that we were going to pull a few episodes from the voices to those three to five minute interactions I had with students. For a number of the people we've interviewed, this is how I actually initially met them. And so there was a few that really stuck out to me, maybe for personal reasons, but I think also for the conversation. Uh, but yeah, maybe we'll just uh, jump right into it and then we'll kind of unpack as we go along because there's just so much to cover. There's a lot of ground. And then we'll be uh, we'll be cutting in some audio clips and some sound bites from some of these episodes. And basically, we're going to kind of do like a director's cut uh, version of SK. We'll kind of analyze maybe like some quick sound bites or moments in the conversation. So yeah, without further ado, we'll just jump right into the conversation here. So you excited? Yeah, let's get it. 
All right. I was going to start in the voices. This is kind of really how the ministry started for Poor Campus. And the first, I would say, big interaction I had with this student, it was at NC State. This student, Robbie, how I engaged with him, it was very interesting. He initially did not want to talk and I could tell he was a little shy. And so I was just like, hey, no big deal. Here's a card for the ministry. You can go to the website. And he kind of thought about it a little bit more. And he's like, actually, I, I do have some time and I'd like to talk. And you don't hear this in the conversation because I do a little bit of post edit. He had a stuttering issue and he was kind of nervous. So one of the blessings that came from this was that I really got to capture his authentic voice and what you didn't hear. He had told me after he said, you know, thank you. Like that was the first time I had a conversation about God or about faith where I didn't feel judged. And he had told me that he had of church hurt when he was really young that kind of really turned him off. And so that really encouraged me like, okay, this is real. This is not a joke. Like when you do this stuff and there's also a lot of moments where it didn't wind up going that way. So I'll do this. Um, I'm going to play a little clip of this interaction with Robbie and then uh, we'll, we'll unpack it in the episode. What do you think about that? Yeah. It's sometimes a challenge to make judgments based on our experience because if you're truly existing in the real world, then I believe that involves being so caught up in the present moment that any kind of worry or planning or money is disappears and you're as good as uh, ready to die because it, it's kind of an eternal experience. Maybe there are other sources of it and a personal struggle of mine is to moderate and regulate the the way that I communicate to others, because everybody wants to be understood. And sometimes a consequence of that is you cause sadness or depression in others inadvertently. So determining trade-offs and cost around the actions you take is uh, something that not everybody is well-equipped to handle. All right, yeah. So with Robbie, um, something about him that's important to note is is how he explains his learning is shaping the way that he looks at things. There's nothing profound about that. Like we figured that out really early on in our childhood um, and we can hopefully continue it for the rest of our life. Um, the problem is we tend to eventually stop learning and just stick to the way that we're looking at things. And I think that is this the same episode where you talk about cognitive dissonance. Okay. If not, it, it does lead to that kind of attitude. So, you know, his learning is shaping the way that he looks at things. And so there's a lot of value in his experiences throughout life. And I think that that's really important and something that we can really speak to. And at the very least, just listen. I think we forget about that a lot of time, especially if we're trying to witness to somebody is, um, and, and that's why there's such great relief in understanding that I'm not the person that's saving someone. I'm just telling them about the gospel and I can tell them about that at any point in time. In the meantime, I can just sit here and listen to what's going on in there. What, what are they learning about? They're learning about these statistics and he's saying about how lucky he is to be alive. Like that's very important and that has value to him. And so, you know, he mentioned something later on about internal versus external knowledge. I wasn't sure how to take that. I, I did catch at the end and we'll, we'll play a little bit more. I think what really actually stuck out here wasn't necessarily, you know, some of his conclusions and his worldview and how he was putting it together. Cause I, I realized some of that's probably shaped by what he's learning in the moment. So he was currently learning information there. So what I noticed in conversations with him and other students is that what they're learning at the moment, because their brains, their worldview still being developed, they're gaining so much profound insight into certain areas of knowledge and education to where you can almost deify that. And I think what I was trying to do is just understand that he's smart. He's good at articulating what he's feeling and thinking in the moment. But what I always try to do with these students is take them a level deeper. Mm -hmm. And what I notice is that a lot of these students are very intelligent. They're able to make reasoned defenses for what they believe. What I very rarely see at the foundational level or the presuppositions of the underlying beliefs that form the foundation for you know the origin, meaning, morality, purpose and destiny of your life. The basic questions, where did we come from? How do we make sense of our own reality? If you don't understand those or don't have a concrete answer for those, then everything you're discussing is actually going to be at a top layer. And what I've discovered more and more is that a lot of them do believe. They never actually reasoned out why they believe what they believe. Is it because they were raising it or is it because they've experienced something supernatural or profound or are they going off the experience of other people like their parents or their teachers or professors or 
or people they meet on the campus. That's something that was very stimulating about listening to these students that you were interviewing is that they were able to articulate what it was they know. Here's where it falls short. I'm, I'm going to be cheesy and quote something from the secular world in, in that Marvel movie with Doctor Strange. You know, he's talking to that whoa, whoa, that you, person. You actually saw yeah. that? I did like a two-parter on that. You yeah. should watch that. We could, okay, okay, shameless plug. Check out the two-parter we did on Doctor Strange and Multiverse. <laughs> All right. But in that, in one of those scenes, he's talking to that ancient one, the bald-headed lady, right? And she tells him, your knowledge has gotten you so far in this world, but it'll get you no further. And it's like, that can be us a lot of times. We can have all the knowledge in the world we want, but it's only going to take us so far. And when you apply it to a relationship with a real living God, it won't take us any further. Because I can, for example, have all this information about you, Jason, that I learn either from you or from other people who have been around you. But until I actually lean in and get to know you personally, that knowledge will only go so far. To quote my favorite book in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, in chapter 10 is talking about death comes to all. And it says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because this is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work, no thought, no knowledge, nor wisdom in Sheol and hell to which you are going. And you sure you're not like, you know, preaching a little bit here or yeah, it reminds me of like the Aldous Gate Park ministry we did for a while. Um, I'm so glad you covered that because we, this is what we've talked about throughout, at least since the inception of Solomon's Knot and talking to students, whether about just the ways of things. I mean, really if you think about it, it's finding truth and wisdom in an information age. Like if we can't even reason to how we came here to begin with and where we're going to go because we're heading towards somewhere. I mean, as human beings, we know we're going to head towards death. And as a society or as a civilization, as a world, we're heading on a trajectory. And so it's kind of like, hey, one day you're going to die. And a big part of our humanity is realizing that, wait, I'm only here for a short period of time. You know, what's 100 years in the span of human existence? And so it's kind of like these conversations are age old. And at a heart level, it sounds like, you know, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, that was the pretext for the show is that all the knowledge and insight in the world, you're going to get stuck. So what is wisdom? Well, the word says that wisdom is God and that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. Uh, we're going to transition to another encounter I had with a student. This was at UNC Chapel Hill. And I remember that day that I was out there, you know, because I had gone to Chapel Hill a few times early on in ministry. And I remember seeing the student, Shelby. I don't typically interact directly with young women. Um, it's just because there's certain conversation points we might have post or during that can, you know, open up doors, obviously boundaries and all that. But it was interesting because she was like, there was something about her countenance that I was like, okay, I just went up, talked to her and we were having the conversation and I find out she's a born again Christian and she would go out with some of the missionaries and other people. And actually, how about this? Can we play a soundbite? I recently went to a conference where talked about a lot of reasons why people are like afraid or maybe turned off by their assumptions of Christianity. So I think a big one is talking about like race and the issue that is right now. Like is Christianity really like the white man's religion or have turned away from being give me scientific facts or like can you prove this more to like moral issues? People are concerned with like the morality of Christianity. One thing I've learned is like people aren't as like pushed off by you talking about what you believe as you might think that they are. They're very like open to conversation. I think a big part of that is like listening to other people. You can't, if you don't listen to where people are at or why they think certain things, you're not going to know how to have that conversation. If you want them to listen to what you have to say, I mean, like caring about what they believe and why is important too. One conversation probably won't change their opinion if it's something that they're passionate about. And I think prayer is just very powerful, even more so, even as powerful as like action or words. Um, I think just being kind. If someone's being hostile towards you, you can, there's an appropriate time to address things. If you have professors that are, you know, saying things that are contradictory to what you believe, then like use that as a fuel to go and search for, okay, why do I believe what I believe? You can ultimately like pray for people, but you alone are, are not in charge of like changing what they think. This is why it's important to pay attention to who you're witnessing to. There may have been times where like, I was witnessing to one person and not having any success, but there was someone else nearby listening a lot more intently than they were. And understanding the fears and assumptions that people have about Christianity 
is also something I need to be aware of. We see a fire and we know I need to stay away from that. I don't even want to be around it unless I need warmth. And in that case, I'm just going to stay close enough to where it's going to give me the needs that I want, but I'm not going to get close enough to where it burns me. I think people look at Christianity the same way. Yeah, I agree. You know, Shelby was probably among half a dozen in the hundreds of interactions I've had with students throughout maybe like a two to three year period of actual followers of Jesus and still the struggles of just navigating through that part of their life, you know, their own walk with Christ and what her and maybe I would say two others were one of the few that actually ministered to me when I was out there, which reminds me of the scripture there's a reference in Matthew 25. This is talking about the sheep and the goats. You know, Jesus essentially separating those who are righteous from those who are unrighteous. Verse 34 it says, The king will say to those on his right, the righteous, Come, you who are blessed, my father, take your inheritance. The king had prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison. You came to visit me. And I just thought it was really interesting was like being a minister and then running into people that are ministers too and then serving you and like ministering to your soul I think is one of the things that brings God the most joy because we can get so narcissistic and selfish and can get kind of lonely out there and then you run into other people young people particularly I know when I was that age I was doing everything but ministering the gospel to people yeah I asked someone once let's say Jesus showed up right now and tapped you on the shoulder there he was he just introduced himself to you you knew it was him you saw the whole in his wrist, all of it. How would that change your life from that moment forward? And the guy said, I would just admit that I was wrong, that he ever existed, but nothing else would change. That question got asked to one of the guests that we're going to talk about. I had uh, seen a debate with him and one of my professors who's been on the show. And what's interesting is the response is typically around the same. Well, if God revealed himself to me in a supernatural way, I'd be fundamentally at odds with God. It's like instead of actually engaging with God or humbling ourselves, because for God to meet us in a supernatural way, our hearts have to be primed and ready to receive him. But I think the point is really when we're approaching God, we have to approach him with humility. I'm not going to approach a dignitary, a leader of a nation the same way I would approach a friend. I'm not going to approach God in the same way I'm going to approach any living being. And at the same time, God calls us to a level of intimacy that is beyond anything we can experience in the human flesh. And, and he calls us his friend, but it's not in like a, hey, like you're my bro. I call you my friend because the level of respect and reverence that the creation has for its creator commands that level of intimacy. But that's a whole other conversation we'll get into. Any closing thoughts on the voices before we transition into the uh, podcast breakdowns? So where I was going with that about how we change after having met and being face-to-face, -face, so to speak, or as close as we're going to get with God is, you know, that has a direct influence on our behavior, attitude, thoughts. And, you know, Shelby mentions just being a living witness to those people who are hostile, praying for them. And those are absolutely important, you know. So later on in Jeremiah 29, he's speaking to those people who are in exile in Babylon. And he tells them what God instructs them to do to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now that's, that's important right there. You know, yes, I'm going to preach a little bit more to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. This wasn't just some other nation that decided, oh, you know what? We're going to go and we're going to take them people. Yeah. We're going to take them down through TikTok and Instagram and social media. Right, right. No, no. God ordained this to happen because as I mentioned earlier in chapter six, Jeremiah was trying to warn them about this stuff and it came to pass. He saw it happen and the instructions that God had for them while they were in exile in a hostile nation, such as we may be as Christians today in America, is to build houses and live in them to plant gardens and eat their produce, to take wives and have sons and daughters, give your daughters to marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply, do not decrease. It's like almost the last thing you would expect God to have planned for us in exile in a hostile nation. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we're going to unpack two podcast episodes. One of them is going to be a young person named Dylan from the student's perspective, and he was a self-admitted atheist or agnostic. 
We're also going to review an episode I did with a professor. Her name is Dr. Jolene. She wrote a book called The Daniel Generation. Um, these students are in Babylon. It was interesting because everything you just mentioned is exact opposite of what we're experiencing in our culture. People aren't buying houses. They're renting. People are not giving into marriage. They're cohabitating or divorces are increasing, as it seems, or maybe that you know the trend is going the opposite way. And this is impacting the lives of young people, particularly in this culture. We're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to look at perspectives from one side of faith to the other and really understand maybe what's going on in the heart of someone on a search or maybe someone who's a little bit closed off to the truth and is firmed up in what they believe. I want to take a brief moment to thank all the listeners who helped support this ministry from its very beginning. Not only have we created 27 high-quality episodes that address major issues in the faith and culture, but your direct engagement has resulted in over 2,500 podcast downloads spanning across 17 nations and thousands of individual guest viewers, all without any paid marketing campaigns. This was purely a grassroots word-of-mouth movement that spread on campuses and cities throughout the country. Moreover, our parent site, 4 Campus.org received hundreds of individual site impressions, 431 replays for the Voices segment, including hosting three live outreach day events on NC State where dozens of students received the gospel message. I also want to give a shout out to students, professors, and even guest contributors to the show who brought authentic and life-giving discussions to the table. You're awesome. For information and more, please visit the website at 4, that is the number 4 campus.org. So every ministry I've ever been a part of or helped to launch, there's always been these like defining moments where you realize like, wow, this is really cool. Like getting to partner with God, especially when you're having conversations about some of the most important issues in the world. Anytime you have any conversation that's spirit led or that involves the topic of God, it can come with a whole host of baggage for some people, but even just a lot of emotions and the struggles there. It's spiritual warfare. You're talking to people, strangers in a lot of cases about very sensitive of important issues. And it may be the only conversation that person ever has outside of their church, if they're going to church or a few friends or their parents, that really gets down into the weeds. And I think they have to happen in those tighter conversations. But you kind of do walk away from some of these interactions sometimes wondering, like, will that affect that person for the rest of their life? Am I helping them to see God in a fuller way? You know, if I had to be completely honest, as long as I've been doing this, I really do take responsibility for maybe a few people hardening their hearts because I'm I'm expecting and hoping that they'll see it in that time and space, what I see, and they'll want to, to follow Jesus. That's the cost of discipleship. You know, that's what happens when you go out and engage. You make a good point is that we're going to look like fools to these people who are going to disagree with us. And that's why I said we got to be okay with it and still just be human, connect with them and be a living witness to them. So I would encourage you not to be too hard on yourself for having felt like maybe you hardened some people's hearts. And and here's why. As a high schooler, I was this goth kid who was all black and chains and made. Oh, I could could see that. I could see that. Way out there, bro. You know, that, that was part of my identity back then. And I'm walking home from school with my buddy at a bus stop that we frequently walked by. There was an older gentleman and he like saw me from a distance and I could tell like he was looking at me. And as we were going to pass him, he stood up, walked up to me, said, hey, I just want you to know that Jesus loves you. And I laughed in his face, not in a nice way, very mean, and just walked off. And so did my friend. He was there for that. And I'd forgotten about that for a long time until the day came when people started laughing in my face. God is a God of remembrance. And you never know the effect that you're having when you engage with some of these students. I mean, I still get a text every now and again from guys I witnessed to months or years ago in certain cases. I'm like, barely developed a relationship. And I feel like maybe those are open doors just to follow up on because you clearly made some impact. And I think it's felt both ways. But yeah, going into the second part of the combo, by the way, I don't like doing two parts because people either listen to the first half and dump the second half or they'll listen to the most recent, which is yeah. part two. Yeah, I look at the analytics every now and again. I can say like, why does a lot more people listen to part two, not part one? When I tell them in the beginning, listen to part one, like you're not going to get half this combo. I've learned it's just better to keep them like shorter. But what you do? Okay. Well, this is one of the stuff I wanted to talk about. And there's so many things I wanted to do with for campus and Solomon's not. I really thought this was going to take off and like hit all these different campuses in the country and start a movement. But uh, I actually had like ideas for like doing Solomon's not SK premium edition where you had to like, you know, sign up to get the behind the scenes convos and director's cuts, like even like this combo, like all this stuff in between. But I realized like this is like so much more work and it's just you get mission drift with. That's not so like. 
assistance. Yeah, like I'm on a cultish level. Like yeah. I got to get my game up to do that. Get assistant. Everyone needs an assistant. Patreon. Jeez, find an assistant. I don't even know what to do. Like go out there and minister to people. Let me know. You know, every like I said, every ministry has a moment, and that's what I want to talk about with one particular student, Dylan. I met this young man on the campus. We were at Founders Field at NC State. For those who are listening, who are students, you know where I'm talking about, and. um I had prayed that afternoon because sometimes there was a few occasions to go on the campus and not meet a single student. It just, I would, in some of them, I'd be like, you know, kind of chasing down like, Hey, I want to get the interview, but I would just pray about it. And God would usually put on my heart who you wanted me to talk to. I'm telling you some of these conversations were providential. I would even have like ministries randomly text or call like, Hey, is there anything we could pray for you for? We appreciate your, your gift recently. We want to build a problem. They're like, Hey, I need you to pray for me right now. I'm on the campus. I'm about to interact with these students and it's going to get spiritual. And they'd be like, okay, we got you. And then two minutes later, I'd meet a student and they would just get wrecked by the Holy Spirit. And it's like, okay. But I remember the student, I'd prayed that afternoon. I literally circled the entire campus. I came right back to where I started at Founders Field. And I turn around and there he is sitting down and reading a book. And so that was like my go ahead wink. And I have a conversation that's probably going to impact me for the rest of my life. And I definitely think has impacted him. Hopefully a lot of other people. This is probably one of the most popular episodes that people have listened to. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play a clip maybe from the first conversation we had, the initial from the voices, and then we'll lead that into the deeper. I'm Packing. So we're just going to go ahead and play a little bit of that and then we'll, we'll discuss more about the journey. And yeah. If people are willing to talk to other individuals, like raising awareness, if you can convince one other person that something that is an issue is an issue, then you've effectively doubled your impact. You've got another person who feels as strongly as you do out there. I think that it is the duty of a representative government to represent the will of the people. But I feel like in a just and free society, it will be known if something is considered moral or not, at least by the standards of the society. When you get down to very, very extreme differences, I don't know that there's a way to say one of them is better or worse, objectively. If human beings could work cooperatively, why is it so difficult for everyone just to come together and work together? What is it about the human heart that just can't reconcile sometimes to its neighbor? The simplest one word answer I can give to that is probably tribalism, which is, I, I would defer to a cultural anthropologist or a sociologist to elaborate more on this. I would imagine there is a cap going back to perhaps hunter-gatherer societies. There's probably a limit to how many people you can sustain as a wandering group. And of course that expands that contracts with different living situations throughout history. And if you are very comfortable with your own raised identity, which you were raised in, and you see something as other or different, you would be suspicious because you maybe don't identify with them in the same way that you would identify with your family group. Yeah, that's a good point, good observations. What can we agree on, whether it's ethics or morals, worldview? Is it that all human beings at the core fundamental basis need to have an idea or an understanding of where they came from, like a human origin story, or like collectively, where did the planet come from, the cosmos, how were they formed? Because we understand through science and we understand through physics and other things that we've discovered that there is consistency in the creation as we know it. Do we owe it to ourselves to really discover why that is the case? Or do we just simply accept it as a reality and try to figure out how to address the heart level issues in society? I would argue that it became beneficial in societies, in large scale societies, to keep people organized via these basic questions, wondering how we came into being, what we're meant to do, and what life after death would look like. Because those are things that everyone can relate to as conscious beings. There's a good reason to to believe that the idea of God or religious practices evolved from morality and not the other way around. I would argue that societies prior to religion agreed that this was bad and enshrined it within their religion as a means of authority. It's like, well, you don't just have to take our word for it as people, it's our religious custom as a way of lending credence to what they believed. I kind of fallen out of favor with believing in a God at some point in high school. Recognizing that I didn't have answers to some important questions in life was kind of what drove me to find meaning. So I began looking elsewhere. And one writer who I found I particularly enjoy is Jean-Paul Sartre. A quote that kind of introduced me to his readings came from him that goes, we live our lives looking for authority in one form or another. And so often we go through our lives meeting our authorities and discovering that every one of our authorities is fake. Albert Camus is another good French author who I enjoyed reading from. And one of his more, I guess, impactful theses came from the myth of Sisyphus. 
and from The Stranger. The Stranger is a renowned book, the Nobel-winning prize. It outlines Camus' description of the absurd. The absurd to him is the reality of a man shouting for answers in uncaring universe. We want answers. We want to know why. We want to know that there is a meaning to it all, and we cry into the void and are answered by nothing. I learned a lot from this conversation when I had a really good breakdown with one of my professors, especially when you're going a little bit deeper into the presupposition. So one of the things I noticed, Dylan, he's a leader. He's very articulate. Um, he liked to move and steer the conversation. And I noticed when he started doing this, we never really got to what was happening in some of those dialogues. And so whenever I wanted to figure out where he stands morally or philosophically on a particular issue, whether talking about the dignity of human life, you know, the origin of the universe, we found a plateau, but then we shifted to another plateau. So when he talked about the source of morality, what stuck out of you about that when he said morality comes before religion? Because I've heard this conversation and debates with Sam Harris and Jordan Pearson. We just unpacked this like a few episodes back and we talked about evil. I don't know. What, what do you want to respond to that? The relationship between morality and religion, he, he may bring up some good points, but I'm going to kind of put you back on the spot that he had you on earlier because this question never really got answered. And I think it's worth talking about. His question was something to the effect of if God didn't put thou shalt not kill in the Ten Commandments, would murder be moral? Right. And so I did attempt to answer this question. As I mentioned, I was like, hey, go back to the garden. You had a murder there. The Ten Commandments weren't given up until that point, but the natural law written on our heart, we know inherently what's good and bad. And so I tried to articulate that the law has always been on the books because the word says that in Christ reaffirms us in the New Testament that before the world began, he was. The spirit of God, which is the spirit of truth, had always been preexistent to creation. It was in God's essence and the spirit. So to say that, well, how do we know that these categories of truth are right or wrong? We don't need the Ten Commandments to come down from God to know it is right because the word also says he wrote his law on our hearts, the tablet of our hearts. And so I think that was the argument I was trying to make is that ethic has always been there from the very beginning because it's imprinted into our very nature. Yeah. So that's our explanation he from a good point. So I'm not going to say like I've got the upper hand in every conversation. He's a very smart young man. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and that's our explanation for that from a Christian worldview. Yeah. But I also need to be human, like understand where they're coming from and so, take a look at yeah. things from their worldview. Yeah. So let's look at things from his worldview. Okay. With his question, let's say God did not put that law in the Ten Commandments and he didn't write it on our hearts. So what that would look like today is what I can imagine we see in the film, The Purge. The Purge is a movie that once a year, there is no police, no emergency responses, nothing. And everyone is free to kill whoever they want to. So if, for example, God did not write thou shalt not kill as a commandment, didn't put it on our hearts, then it would be morally okay to do. At some point, we would say this, so to speak, evolve and come to adapt in a way where, you know what, maybe we should not kill indiscriminately all the time because we got jobs to do. I got employees that need to come to work. But what we can do, being wise in our own eyes, we can establish some rules around this thing to make it a little bit more manageable to have a society that can still function, even though murder is morally right. And maybe this is difficult for non-believers to hear or for people that haven't accepted that Christ is Lord and sovereign or that God even exists to begin with. There seems to be this perceived amount of pride or some type of arrogance that Christians who claim to have had encounters with God have been born again or saved, that they're not willing to surrender from that hill right? Because now that they're forgiven and accepted by God, that they're just allowed to do whatever they want. And that's not true. At a heart level, at a spirit level, we are culpable. Like we are responsible for the decisions we make more so than people that haven't received. The word even says it's worse for someone to have received and grieve the Holy Spirit and turn their back on God than it was if they never received it from the beginning. But the point is, is there is a sense of, I know that God's real and I know it's his heart's desire for other people to know him and to experience that. The difficulty I think is we're trying to get people to understand what it's like to have a relationship with God. And in their hearts, like we know deep down if they haven't received him, it's still possible. Whereas we can never not unsee what we've seen if we're really in him. I think it's important for us to realize as people witnessing to other people, of course, we're trying to understand what their worldview is. 
and helping them to set next to it what ours is. You know, at times we may even bring in another one like, oh, well, you have this atheistic worldview and you're bringing up Buddhism. Okay, well, let's let's go ahead and compare those two and then throw in and see what Christianity looks like next to that. And then really just give them the information and resources needed to make an informed decision. And at the end of the day, we're really just trying to help one another out on a human level. So just as much as I may want to equip my daughter for when she leaves the home to interact with people from all sorts of backgrounds and cultures and things like that and still be firm on her foundation. Other people are doing the same thing with their children. And so it can be dangerous if I'm being very offensive and not like using offensive language, but being very direct and aggressive with my evangelism because it can look like fire to them and they don't want to be standing in fire. They don't want to offend their parents by accepting from a stranger what their parents taught them all their life, at least not without them doing some research first. I think those are some things to be aware of and to honor. That's good. So let's listen a little bit more to the conversation. There's a few other points I think that came up and um, yeah. Not everyone that's going to seek him, even though the word says search and you'll find, but not everyone on that journey is going to have that level of encounter. And I'd argue this. You like ice cream? Depends on the ice cream. What do you like? What's your favorite ice cream? I really, uh, chocolate. I like sure. coffee ice cream, man. I don't know why people don't like Coffee's it. Coffee's good. Coffee ice cream is really good. good. But here's the thing is, for someone that's never had ice cream before, how do you explain that? And you could tell about they look, it's like this. It's like that. It's made here, it's from here, it tastes this way. But until you've actually tasted it, that person is not gonna have a context. I don't judge people for faith. I like your analogy to, well, you can't taste, you, you, how do you describe ice cream? I don't have issue with people claiming to have monumental personal experiences and choosing to live their lives as informed by those personal experiences. That's how I live my life. I said at the beginning that I make moral and ethical decisions based on my learned experience. But my learned experience does not lead me to a creator God. I don't judge people for having emotional investments in things that they were raised with. Those are very impactful and developmental periods of their lives. But they're proscriptive of how I should behave, how I should act, how I should live my life. And in doing so, that feels like my freedom is being confiscated, my freedom to act. And if I don't submit to such treatment, then I'm judged by other people. You talk about ice cream. You like coffee ice cream. You love coffee ice cream. Someone who is a Muslim, a devout Muslim or Hindu or other various denominations of faith. If you've never had their favorite ice cream flavor, do you know coffee's your favorite? How do you know that you just haven't had your favorite flavor of ice cream? The thought process that I came to with analyzing my own ethics and morality is one that, like I said at the beginning, is twofold. I have my personal morality, how I behave with decisions that impact exclusively me or as close to exclusively me as can be said. And then how I behave when my actions have consequences for other people. And that's informed by my lived experience. How I personally break that down is much easier to do than saying like society-wide objective morality should be adhered to. So first of all, this, his name's Dylan. Dylan, I love you, bro. You're awesome and refreshing. It was great to listen to your uh, dialogue with my brother Jason here. All right, as Christians who hold to a Christian worldview, um, we're all looking for a way to find, you know, origin, identity, purpose, morality, destiny. You know, what I think is great about this guy is not just his way of articulating things and being well read on a lot of stuff. He's connecting dots. Uh, it's not very common to see people be able to put things together like that. So again, thank you. I think for me, I was very impressed by his understanding in areas of philosophy, some of the theology, some of the anthropology, like basic categories of life and experience. He had depth of understanding. He was very well read. Even the classical works that I thought was pretty impressive. But I kind of saw where he was putting a little too much stake into different beliefs and perspectives that proved themselves to have holes in them throughout time, like some of these French existentialist philosophers that we have seen fall apart. What is it about maybe him as a young man wanting to like put essentially his eggs into those baskets? Right. So having a worldview that defaults to whatever the experts say is 
very important because that's what a lot of our own faith and worldview hinges on. Uh, we look at the resurrection and base our faith on the evidence of that having happened, looking at the world holding more to an evolutionary worldview of people that are able to work together. That's noble and very virtuous, but why doesn't it happen more? His response was tribalism, and there is some truth to that. There's definitely like people who feud with one another. I, I don't know that that's always the case. That doesn't explain everything. Let's keep listening because I think throughout the conversation, we gain a little bit more sense of where he's at in his journey of understanding maybe the questions behind the question, if that makes sense. I heard a quote, and I was going to say you may find it somewhat abhorrent, but it's a quote that goes, any God that would demand every aspect of your life from you, how you live it, who you live it with, and how you should behave till you die is no better than a God of death. But he doesn't he's demand it. He, he desires it. It's different. One is subjugation and slavery. Another but if is, he has is worship. Made me, as I am to be, as he knows I will be, as a God who is all-powerful and omniscient, he's made the choice for me. He knows how I'll behave, and he made me in such a way that I will behave like he would, or how he would see me to. I don't know that a God like that is worth worship for me, personally. If he desires love and affection, by all means, make people who would share in your love and affection. I think it's a little ambitious for us to say that we could attain to godlike status in the sense of I can know all things omnisciently. I would never make that claim. But that essentially is what we could do. The type of thinking is that I don't need to be dependent upon creator God because I want to come to the conclusion that I can create myself and I can determine the boundaries and the path that I have ahead of me. Like you couldn't stop me from from crossing your path with what I believe, we cannot will things the way that a supreme sovereign creator could. I cannot force someone to do something based upon the fact that I don't know all things. I can't determine the outcome of every decision or indecision someone makes and how to respond to that appropriately. Well, then we're still back to the original problem of you must then demonstrate or be capable of demonstrating God's existence. And another bigger problem is if you could demonstrate God's existence, as he has written in the Bible or in any new form that he would appear today, if you were capable of doing that, you have an entirely separate problem of proving that he is worthy of worship. This conversation is important because I actually have had a few talks with Dylan, and I think this was one of the sticking points. We're talking about God's sovereignty, predeterminism, free will. The question got brought up was essentially, if God created everything from the beginning to end, and he gave Adam and Eve the choice, then he clearly knew that I wasn't ever going to receive him, and I'm just living out my part. Therefore, I'm ignorant or I'm not culpable for this truth, because clearly you've received God, I haven't. It's God's will, therefore, for me not to receive it, or God just doesn't exist and we make this up for ourselves. What's your response to that? Again, I try to step into a person's worldview. So I'm Dylan here, and I acknowledge that God has predetermined all my decisions that I make, even in my free will, regardless of my choice. I'm familiar with God's word. It says those things that he desires all, but not everyone will receive or accept it. Then that's some knowledge, again, that's taken me very far, but it's probably not going to take me any further. Something I, I didn't realize this until I had the conversation with him, because he did bring up, well, if Eve had the choice and she fell, because why were humans even given the choice to choose from the tree of good and evil or good and bad? Why did there have to be an either or? Why was evil allowed to introduce? We totally unpacked this episode about the problem of evil. It was, in fact, Eve's good intention to know her creator and to be more like God. The problem is the ways that she went about it were forbidden. One, you weren't supposed to be disobedient to God's rule, but she went outside of the boundaries that God had established for her. And what happens when we do that, when we go outside of God's word or outside of the relational context God has established between him, his word, the fellowship, what we do is but then we try to go to other worldviews or our own understanding. What do you have to say about that? He mentions that his whole purpose for engaging in the dialogue was to show that, you know, it is possible to live a life of morality and good ethics and things like that. But without God, people who are wretched, like myself, uh, if I'm being truthfully honest, that's not possible. What do you want to say 
to Dylan. And what would you encourage him having been on the other side of that? Even experimenting some of these other faiths, because I know you've dabbled in Buddhism, you've dabbled in Eastern mysticism and various different practices within their yoga. What would you say to him and others that are maybe wanting to know, but just needing to have that personal encounter? Yeah, Dylan. Um, I remember before I, I fully came to accept Jesus as my Savior and Lord, I sought help from other humans, from men, which for a season helped me out, but it didn't last. I remember one dude who was a, was a motivational speaker. I, I want to say his name was Les Brown. Um, and he had this quote that really made me question where I was at in life. He said, I want you to imagine you're on your deathbed and around you are the ghost of all the opportunities, all the books, all the gifts, all the people that were given to you. And they're looking at you with large, angry eyes. And they say to you, we came to you because you were the only one that could give us life. But now we must die with you forever. And I was like, wow, I want to make sure that every opportunity I'm being given, whether I want to acknowledge God for it or not, I'm bringing to life. And coming out of recovery for alcoholism, I was starting to realize there's got to be a higher power out there that's working in my life somehow. And I can't quite understand it because there's no way a guy like me could stop living the way that I was. And I want to get to know whoever this person being is more. Every time I went to other teachings, philosophers, religions, you name it, I was left wanting more. Nothing filled it. Um, and just some call it a spiritual experience. Some call it a paranormal activity. I saw and felt that I was being surrounded by things that were not from God, things that were evil. And the only thing I could do was scream out for Jesus. It, it wasn't Buddha that saved me. It wasn't Epicurus that saved me. It, it wasn't Albert Einstein. It was it was not any philosopher or any other theologian or, or historian. It was Jesus. And I dropped to the ground as hard and fast as I could, covered in tears. I can't prove any of this, but I knew that his feet were right in front of me. If I could do it all over again, just would love more and listen more without trying to correct and teach. So I do believe, Dylan, if you're listening, that you're going to come to saving faith. You're going to receive Christ as Lord because you're on a search for truth. The way you're built, you're not going to stop until you achieve that. Until you come to that fullness of understanding in Christ, you're going to keep searching. And I believe he'll meet you in that pursuit when your heart is searching for him. So I just encourage you to start in the word because the word of God is the best place to know who God is. And you want to finish that. Yeah, just a, a verse, because I mean, if God's word is what it says it is in Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. To say thank you to our long-standing fans and contributors, we're releasing a special bonus episode, which will be available a few days after this final show is concluded. In it, my friend and former NC State grad, Robert Pierce, will be unpacking issues ranging from Greek mythology, philosophical and moral argumentations, including textual analysis from the scriptures, and a host of topics relating to wisdom and truth for the postmodern culture. Look out for an email link to that episode or visit forcampus.org for news and more. Now, let's listen to the concluding part of this episode episode to wrap up the show. We're going to transition to the last interview. And I think this was probably the greatest honor being able to interview, I think, a change agent in the kingdom of God who may have been overlooked by a lot of peers and leaders within academic and even just the cultural space. Her name is Dr. Jolene Erlocker. And where it started was I was at a Christian bookstore and I saw a book under the local author section called The Daniel Generation. I think that encapsulated what this generation is experiencing, that they're heading towards this Babylon style culture, the pagan influences, the carnal appetites, and just the deceptions. And when I read it, I was just amazed by the insights are very practical. And I reached out. She eventually came on the podcast and took a little bit to get a hold of her. What I I think it really reaffirmed that the mission was worth it. It was worth going through the challenges, the highs and lows, and the rejections for the next generation for the gospel. And so I'm going to play a few clips from our interview that I think was really important in terms of just where we're at as a society and what we can do to intercede and encourage the next generation. 
When we talk about Gen Z, we're really talking about those young people who are in their mid twenties and younger. Uh, young millennials are, you know, roughly 25 to early thirties. And this is the generation that really is growing up for the first time in America in a post-Christian context. Mm. So traditionally, America was more like the nation of Israel. Even if everyone in our country did not have a Christian faith or a biblical worldview, our moral foundations reflected biblical principles. Mm. What we're finding now with young people is that they're literally living in a culture like you described, Jason, where the culture on campuses today does not support a biblical worldview or biblical principles. Much of our broader culture is actually anti-biblical truth and hostile towards Christianity. Mm -hmm. So young people today, similar to Daniel, if they want to pursue faith, are having to do so in an environment that's hostile to Christianity. Many young people are seeking meaning and purpose. They have a spiritual hunger in many cases for something greater, a deeper purpose or meaning, but they're navigating that search in a culture that does not affirm Christian or biblical values, which is creating a very different dynamic than we maybe would have seen 10 or 15 years ago. The young people who thrive, not just in faith, but in life, are the ones who are able to develop strong, healthy relationships with older adults, mm -hmm. as well as like-minded peers, peers who have similar values and beliefs. Mm -hmm. So we see this in Daniel's life in a couple of ways. One is he has his group of three friends that you mentioned, who when he's in crisis, when they're showing up at his door saying, we're going to kill you because the king has issued this edict, he immediately turns to those like-minded friends and says, pray with me, right? I'm not alone wow. in this. There are other people who think mm -hmm. like me because often in our culture today, young people feel very much alone. Like they're mm -hmm. the only one who has a specific worldview or faith. Right. So that's one thing. The other thing is just seeking out those older adults. So if you are a young person, I would recommend to you, look at the adults in your life. Who's someone who models something that you want? They have joy and peace when others do not. They have wisdom when others do not, or they have a healthy marriage, or they have healthy relationships with their kids, or mm -hmm. they're thriving in their work. Yeah. Look at the people around you and say, who do you want to learn from? And go to that person, even say, can I just learn from you? Find a way to cultivate that relationship. Send them a text message and just say, would you pray for me? If you know that they're a believer, yeah. the key is relationships where we are listening, mm -hmm. we're asking questions, we're probing for deeper understanding and really encouraging and speaking belief over each other. Young people today are very isolated. Technology has allowed us to have superficial relationships oh, yeah. where we're not emotionally connecting with other people. We're just connecting via our devices, which does not allow for emotional connection that we have when we're face to face. And so that loneliness is combated by being in relationship with people in meaningful relationship, but that requires work and risks, right? So we have to be willing to take that risk and engage with people knowing that it's not always going to turn out the way we want it to, but that we know it's worth it to pursue relationships in order to find the right ones. You know, we just talked about Dylan and we saw maybe some perspectives from the other side of faith. And I love how from the standpoint of like human relationship, what is it about the story of the gospel, the Bible itself, you know, the word that really touches the human heart. And Dr. Jolene, she brings up all the stats, like a lot of her background is in doing stats and statistics and research on Gen Z and millennials. So when she approaches these issues from a Christian worldview, she's basically saying, hey, what the Bible is saying is true because what we're seeing in the culture statistically is that as younger people are getting isolated, they're engaging more with the social media and the content, the reason why we're seeing suicides, the reason why there's more issues with identity and gender is because people, they're leaving this understanding of God in a personal way, and they're trying to find that in a culture that is mostly devoid of that. She makes a great point about how we utilize technology, which is not a bad thing, but we miss out on, you know, what she mentioned, the human connection, you know, what we've discussed earlier already, uh, building relationships with people. And we see this in um, any examples, but one in particular from Jesus has to do with when he raises Lazarus from the dead. He's in another town when he gets word that Martha's brother this is John 11, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And he was sick. Jesus, when he heard this said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. If you at least just look at what happens next, Jesus stays there for a couple days and then he goes and me 
meets Mary and Martha and, and everyone else who's grieving and weeping over, you know, Lazarus' death and Jesus weeps, you know, that's mentioned. That's a verse that is, you know, shortest verse in the Bible. The shortest verse in the Bible. You got to put yourself into the narrative and look at just what's happening here. He's come to them. He's wept and grieved with them. Now he's gone to the tomb. And what does he do? He has them move the stone. He lifts up his eyes and says, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He raises Lazarus from the dead and all these people are witnesses to this. My point here has to do not just with the actions that are happening and the witnesses, but also the relational equity that Jesus has put into these relationships. He's invested with these people. Am I doing the same thing so that I had the equity to speak into their lives? He was best friends with Lazarus and his sisters. So these were people that were very close to him. And imagine being best friends with someone that you had the power to save, but because you cared more about the hearts of the people, not just in his time, but many centuries, millennia later, us, that you use this opportunity to draw people closer to who? The Father. Because Jesus had the same authority to raise the dead, but he appeals to the Father. Here's the point I want to get to is the people that we engage with in the mission field. Now, I'm not saying it's perfect. It's definitely difficult. But when we go to the skate parks, when we go to the campuses, one, we're not just going there just to preach the heavy. We go in there, we'd bring gifts, you know, we would talk to people before we prayed constantly for these students. There's been some times where I think we've gone in there a little bit more, you know, prideful and what have you. But what we're trying to do is be literal examples of our God and let God do the heart level work in them. Same thing on the campus. Like every student I've engaged with, I've prayed for them. I've tried to meet them on their level, having conversations, non-judgmental conversations, but important ones. Sometimes it comes off heavy. And every single one of them, I say, hey, if you ever want to talk, here's my info, reach out to the website. And I'm not going to lie, I've only had a few that have actually done out of the hundreds or more. But what's interesting, the few that have reached out, you know who they were? People on this podcast. The students that I've had on this podcast were the ones that actually reached out and not all of them were believers. And I've met some other ones on the campus and we've done follow-ups and stuff and then, you know, we prayed together and all that. But I do find it interesting that the ones that responded, it doesn't seem like it got through, but they still want to have the conversation. And, and sometimes I do wonder if that's God's way of leading those people on the path, but that's neither here nor there. Let's do this. Let's um, kind of listen a little bit more to the combo, and then we'll see what else we can glean from this talk, especially as it relates to the conversation uh, on the campus campus and in the culture. So one of the things that we're seeing today that I've heard from students repeatedly is just sometimes we don't even know why we believe what we believe. And part of that is because we are so inundated with information. We have never had access to information like we have yeah. today. And so the moment that we have a spare minute, right, we're sitting in our dorm room or we're sitting in our apartment or we're waiting in line or we're even at a red light, we mm -hmm. instantly go to our device because it's right there all the time. So we might be listening to a podcast podcast, checking a text message, scrolling social media, looking at our newsfeed. So we always have these distractions that are so readily available that very seldom do we actually just have silence. And so going back to your question, how do we cultivate that deeper relationship with God and with yeah. others? What we find is it's impossible to do. Research tells us you have to have silence in order to be a healthy human being. Why? Because silence allows your brain to rest. It allows your brain to process things, to think about why do I feel the way that I do? Why? am I feeling so upset by that post that I saw or that message that I heard or whatever and actually reflecting on that. And the thing is, is in those moments of silence and reflection are where God's spirit can speak to us Good. because we're actually listening. The other thing is that when we're in that place where we're taking the time to personally reflect and seek God in quiet moments, that we actually become a better person as a friend as well. We're able then to have some space in our hearts and minds to engage other people in a meaningful manner. So maybe Maybe even just taking the practice of like five minutes in the morning when you wake up, take five minutes before you pick up your phone and just say, God, please be with me today. Please speak to me today. I'm listening to you. And even just take two or three minutes to just pause and just think, does God give you a thought or an idea or does someone's image come to your mind that maybe you need to talk to? So just starting to build those practices back into our life. And we see this in Daniel's life. Even when he was second in command over the most powerful empire in the world, he would pause three times a day to pray. And so we see Daniel building these rhythms of pausing and reflection into his life. And those equipped him to then have healthy relationship with others as well. 
Yeah. And I really like how she does kind of affirm this pretty much throughout the rest of the podcast is for those that are seeking a relationship with Jesus because of your desire to want to know God, how do we then encourage that person, including navigating through life and identity, marriage, all these things that we engage with? You know, what do you say to that student? Maybe even, you know, thinking about your children, what's the world going to be like for them? And what do you say to them in response? I mean, I'll take it straight from the word Philippians 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Yeah, that's really good. As just kind of a final question, you mentioned this earlier when you were a young man, you were very lost, even angry. Put yourself in the shoes of that older man that you laughed at. What do you say to that young man knowing what you know now? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if I was now that old man at the bus stop and I saw my younger self approaching, so I would probably just reenact the exact same thing that happened to me. And if the person was teachable, unlike how I was, Titus 3.5 comes to mind. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. He saved me. He saved you. Not because of works done by you in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Damien, you have been shown mercy after mercy and had grace shoved in your face so much. And there were times where you have spat on it, rejected it, pretended it wasn't there. Now that you know that it's there and where it comes from, how is your life different? Will your life ever change knowing this stuff? Or are you just going to keep living the way you want to live? That's good. Well, thank you for being a guest and being the last guest interviewer on the show. It just what an honor, man, just to walk with someone so closely. You've always showed up to every one of the outreaches and some of the very students that are listening to this, you've touched on a heart level. So thank you for that. Same question for you. Um, you know, honestly, I, I have asked myself this sometimes because I'm almost certain people have reached out to me and I was very, uh, I was kind of a punk. I wouldn't say I was very hostile. I may have, I think God will reveal that to me when I meet him. I think I was very critical and skeptical. And I, I would probably say to my younger self, what people have done for me is that they just listened. The people that I remember the most are the people that actually wanted to get to know me for me. So I would have made the effort to get to know me. You know, even if it was just for a brief period of time, I would say, hey, you know, what are you interested in? And found creative ways to lead me on the path. And you know, I think God didn't do that. He did some people to do that. I did want to include this piece because this is actually part of the, the podcast, but um any resources, wisdom, encouragement, you know, book recommends, things that you would like to, to lead people, what comes to your mind? Yeah. Um, so there's a YouTube channel called Inspiring Philosophy. I think that is a really good resource, good way to look at things from a scholarly perspective. If you're into more of the evidences for biblical accounts and things like that. I mean, I've got tons of people's YouTubes that I could recommend. I think it's, you know what? I'm actually going to echo what Dylan mentioned before. It's like we have our things that we're used to reading and sometimes we need to challenge ourselves and our worldview by by reading something that isn't what we normally read and be open to it. We shouldn't close ourselves off just because I have this simple conviction and way of looking at the world. Again, we all got to live on this planet together. So why not understand what our neighbors are going through? Yes, very good. Um, I have a few resources. One of them I had mentioned, I think, in a previous podcast. This is Surviving Religion 101 by Michael Kruger. It was written from the perspective of a father to his daughter about some of the challenges she was going to face in the college. And actually, Shelby had recommended this book in our interview, nice. uh, which was which I thought was really great. And I'll do a shameless plug for my own book that I recently launched called My Son Rising, S-O-N. You can look up at Amazon. You can type my first and last name, Jason Deramo, D-E-R-A-M-O. Definitely check out the audio book. It's not my voice. I actually got a guy to do it. He's a fantastic narrator. Uh, and that'll be encouragement for particularly young men, especially young men who haven't experienced the love of a father. So take a look at that. I'll put links in the show notes. And just for those that have listened and have supported parents, students, even just people that 
that received this message in passing. Thank you for supporting this ministry and for being part of one of the greatest experiments and opportunities to glorify God of my life. Yeah, it's been amazing. So thank you, brother. Been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Solomon's Not Podcast, a production of 4 and its associated partners. This concludes an incredible two-year journey that began as a movement to help students discover truth and wisdom in an information age. I couldn't possibly have ended the show without thanking a handful of people and organizations that made SK the greatest evangelistic resource for students at NC State, the region, and beyond. I want to thank first my Lord and Savior Jesus, without whom I cannot provide a fraction of the wisdom presented in this show. I want to thank my friend Nick Snap of Miracles and Atheists, Leah Carson of Lens of Faith, Dr. Jolene Erlocker of Leading Tomorrow, Merzami Clark and her team at Trinity.org, my friend Derek Bartlow of Warrior.camp, including leaders like Noble LaRocco Mossi of the Lighthouse Network, and of course my special guest contributors, Harold Silva. Jacob Dozier, Christian Corbett, and Damian Juarez, who you just heard from. I'd also like to thank the student and alumni interviewers, Jared, Dylan, Omar, Drew, and Robert, including professors and advisors to the show, Dr. Chris Berg of Spirit of Truth Outreach, and Dr. Leo Lawson of CampusEvangelist.org. I also want to give a shout out to the ministries of Road Trip to Truth, Wretched.tv, and ReachingYouth.org, and of course, a special thanks to the students of NC State University and various colleges with whom this show couldn't be possible. Lastly, for all the parents, pastors, and friends of ForCampus.org, thank you for believing in this ministry and for interceding for the next generation. It's been an honor. So, So until next time, this is your host, Jason, signing out. Peace.